to talk to you for a few minutes about the one word challenge. Some of you will be finishing up the survey, that's fine. Or if you want to set it aside and finish it up right after the service, that's fine too. Uh, we do this thing, uh, we started it last year, uh, where we encourage you to pray for one word. Uh, instead of a whole bunch of New Year's resolutions, just one word, and allow God to use that word to shape in, uh, uh, your life and to bring meaning. And so uh, I love this. That's what the word uh, cloud back here is all about, is people are, are sending in their words and it's changing that. Uh, but it's just a great opportunity. I think one of the things that's different for me uh, this year uh, is I've just really been uh, encouraged by a friend of mine who did this last year of inviting uh, asking families to invite their entire family into the One Word Challenge, um, including little kids. So even praying for a word, if you have kids that aren't of the age where they can hear from God, uh, but then entrusting your smaller children, maybe even adult children, to join in you. And then it gives you just a great place for conversation. I had a chance to go to dinner uh, a few nights ago with Robbie and Rachel and uh, Meg and I, and just it was just a great uh, few minutes of just talking about what our word was last year, what our word is next year, Great conversation, um, but I wanted to share with you this Facebook post from a mom, super encouraging to me. I think what it did for me is kind of uh, reminded me uh, that God speaks even to the children, and uh, it's just maybe will encourage you in your own journey to find your word, but also in inviting your kids. So this was her Facebook post. It uh, says, Rowan, who by the way is five years old, insisted on sitting in church with me last Sunday instead of children's church, despite my encouragement otherwise. He struggled to sit still and be quiet the entire time, which, of course, I found distracting. However, we made it through it. The pastor, I guess that would be me, talked about finding a word from God uh, that God wants you to focus on this year. And as I was deep in thought, I didn't think Rowan was listening. But after church, he asked me what the pastor meant, and so I gave him my best explanation. He asked me what my word was, and I told him, contentment. Again, he asked for an explanation, and I gave it to him and said, oh, oh, that's like when you tell me to be grateful uh, for what we have, right? Like a Christmas or birthday or toys or stuff. I said, yeah, buddy, that's it. I was proud of him for making the connection, and we went about our day. The next morning, we wake up early. At 6.15 a.m., we were about to leave the house, and he says out of nowhere, Mommy, remember the word we talked about yesterday in church? Well, Jesus gave me a word while I was sleeping last night. I'm shocked to say, I was shocked, and I say, wow, buddy, that's great. What is it? Not expecting an actual applicable word or insight from this little man. And he says, well, mommy, sometimes we're stressed and tired, and Jesus told me that peace is my word. I said, well, what does that peace mean, buddy? And he says, well, like I said, we're tired and we're stressed, and sometimes we yell and worry, so peace would make it better. I was shocked and taken aback by the little boy had already listened, feeling, and being in tune, being sensitive and so aware. I don't think I've ever been more proud of him and more blessed. Isn't that powerful? It's a five-year-old. Very cool. Yeah, you can clap for that. But I just want to remind you to invite your uh, family into it, invite your kids into it. I just think it's a, it's a wonderful conversation starter, and I, I just think God is going to use it year after year as we listen for our word, and that word becomes part of our DNA. I just think it's a powerful, powerful discipline. Very cool. All right, so this week we're launching uh, a new series. The series is called Rooted, uh, Pushing Through the Clutter. 
Uh, and this series really comes out of one of my favorite verses in Scripture. This is one of my life verses, a verse that I go back to regularly. Uh, it comes in Jeremiah 17. So if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah is a little over halfway through your Bible in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 17. Uh, Jeremiah is a prophet, lived about 600 years B.C. Uh, what I want you to know about him, because it helps when you read passages like this, is that Jeremiah's life was not easy. It wasn't easy by any stretch. He was uh, persecuted by his own family, his, his family of origin. He was persecuted by his, his people from his hometown. At one point in his life, he was actually taken and thrown into a well, a cistern, and uh, sunk in the mud and was left there to starve to death only to be rescued in the, in the nick of time. But I say all that just so that you can kind of get your mind around the fact that when he writes the words like the words we're about to read, it comes from a place of challenge. But in the midst of the challenge, he's able to write about God's love. He's able to write about God's mercy. He's able to write about God's desire to bless us. I think one of the reasons that I love this particular passage so much is that it paints this beautiful portrait you can see what God is saying in this passage when you read it. It's just, there's, there's, a, there's a visual that comes with it. And so as a visual person, it's just helped me to hang on to the passage. I also want you to recognize that there are quotation marks in this passage. So when it comes up on the screen as you read it, and the person being quoted here is God. Thus says the Lord, quotation marks, this is what God says. So you're not reading Jeremiah's words, you're reading the words of God given to Jeremiah, okay? Jeremiah 17, verses seven and eight. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. I love that, he says it twice. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream, and it does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Lord, I just pray in these next few minutes that you would help us to hear what you want us to hear, that you would speak a truth into our hearts, that that truth would actually be rooted, that it would just grow, and that it would just bear fruit a hundredfold. I pray that as we begin this series, that you would just uh, pull us in with excitement and anticipation of what you have for us over the next few weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to really just give you a taste of, of Jeremiah 17. We're going to use Jeremiah 17 uh, all of the weeks of this series as a launching pad for what we want to learn. I'm only going to get through a little bit of it today, but I just want to encourage you, if you leave here thinking, well, what about the rest? You'll just have to come back in the weeks ahead to get the rest. But the passage starts with these words. It says, blessed is the man. The first thing I want you to know is this is not gender specific. Blessed is the person, blessed is a woman, blessed is a child, blessed is the adult, blessed is the person. But the question we got to ask ourselves is what does it mean to be blessed? What does it really mean to be blessed? This is one of those religious words that we, that we use probably all the time, and I don't know that we've ever really stopped to think about it. So if I were to say too blessed to be stressed, you guys know, or or what about that, you know, sometimes you say I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm not even sure where that one came out, but people say it. Or, or if I were to sneeze right now on the stage, you guys would all say, bless you, right? Or gesundheit, which I have no idea what that means, but I don't even know why we say it. Probably means bless you in some foreign language, right? But anyway, we use the word blessed all the time. And you just go to a Facebook post, you can see, oh, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed about this. I'm so blessed. And the question is, what does it really mean to be blessed, 
right? What does it mean to be blessed? And the first thing I want you to hear is that it has nothing to do with having everything you want. Blessed does not mean that you have a life with all the stuff and without any difficulties. The fact is, life is hard. One of the things I say to you regularly, because I don't want you to be thrown off guard and walking with God, is that you are either coming out of a storm, you're in a storm, or you're heading for a storm. I'm not saying that to depress you. I'm just telling you that's the reality of life. It could be a diagnosis. It could be a, a problem at work. It could be all kinds of things that pull us into stormy waters. But none of us get to navigate this life without storms. What did Jesus say? He said, in this world, in this life, you're going to have some trouble. So if we know that, it helps us to, to navigate the fact that storms happen. But the truth is, you can be in the middle of your storm and still be blessed. Okay? So blessed is not trouble-free and Blessed is not a life with, with all the stuff. It's not about stuff. As a matter of fact, if you were to do a word search in the New Testament of the word bless, blessing, blessed, any of those three words, it would come up 112 times. Not once is it talking about material possessions. Not, not once is it talking about material prosperity. We see verses like blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. I don't want you to leave here hearing something I'm not saying. I am not saying that God cannot bless you with material stuff. He can, and he often does. But it's not what this passage is talking about. It's definitely not the extent of what it means to be blessed in the scriptures. And I would be irresponsible. I would be uh, uh, malpractice on my part as your pastor if I didn't remind you that sometimes your stuff isn't a blessing, it's a curse. Sometimes it's your stuff that keeps you from being dependent on God. Sometimes your stuff creates a false sense of, of, of security that allows you to navigate life without having any dependence on God. You see this over and over in the scriptures. As soon as God blesses people, as soon as people begin to get stuff, their stuff actually becomes the curse of their lives and pulls them away from what God wants. So the word blessed, what does it mean to be blessed? Literally means completely satisfied. And in the case of scripture, when you see blessed, what it means is to be fully satisfied in God regardless of circumstances. To be blessed is to be fully satisfied in God regardless of circumstances. It's marked by this deep pleasure in God, a sense of God's nearness in the midst of the trials and the difficulties. God seems near to you. It's also like doing something with a strong sense of God's presence and God's delight in you. Whenever I talk about this, I think of Eric Little. He's the, the guy from Chariots of Fire, right? He said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel God's pleasure. So when you do something and you feel God's pleasure in your life, that's, a, that's to be blessed because God is in it, Right? It's that experience of, of God's love and experience God's affirmation, knowing not just mentally, but deep in your spirit that, that God knows you, that he loves you, that, that he's created you, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and you're walking in his presence regularly. One of the keys in this whole conversation about bless is the word affirmation. And the fact is, we are hardwired 
for affirmation. Affirmation is something that we are designed to get. And as a matter of fact, we're actually designed to get it from our fathers. And so if you grew up in a household where you did not get fatherly affirmation, your father was non-existent, he, didn't, he wasn't around, your father was, was disengaged, you know, if you, I had a father that was just silent, I never got affirming words in my life, it, it come from all different reasons, but if you never got affirmation from your father, a person who doesn't get that, usually it will come out in a way that they are searching for affirmation in all kinds of other places. Sometimes it turns into being workaholic, sometimes it work, it, it's in their playing sports and they got to achieve so that they can get affirmation. Sometimes it just creates anger and dissidence in somebody's spirit and they turn to other things to medicate. A lot of, of our addictive tendencies come out of the father wound because the father never affirmed. And so I say all that to say we are hardwired for our father's affirmation. And to truly be blessed is to discover at the core of your being that your heavenly father affirms you that he delights in you, that he's inviting you to experience his, his nearness in your life, that he, your father, your heavenly father has a deep affection for you. God is saying, I want to bless you. I want you to be completely satisfied in me. So to be blessed is to be completely satisfied regardless of what life's throw at you. And what I want to be clear here in, in saying this, because I just, I just think it's important when we sit in church that we don't get there, is that this is not something we ever just arrive at. It's very fluid. There will be seasons of time where you get it and seasons of times where you don't get it. There'll be moments where it's clear to you and in a few moments later, you're gonna be out. It's, it's very fluid. It's part of living in a fallen world. And I don't want you to think, look around the room and say, well, those people get it and those people don't get it. It just doesn't work that way. We kind of come and go through this process. So to be blessed is to be completely satisfied. But the question we got to ask ourselves this morning is how? How do we actually do it? How do we get there? What's the catalyst for God's blessing? How do we foster this place of deep satisfaction with God? Well, look at verse 7, and God tells us how. He said, blessed is the person, the man, the woman, the child. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is is in the Lord. The key, God says it twice, is so important, is in trust. Trust in Yahweh. This is another one of those passages of scripture and spiritual principles that we can talk about so easily, but if you sit with it, if you meditate on it, if you really allow it to rest on you, you're going to find out this is a lot harder than we might think. Easy to talk about, not as easy to live into. Being totally trusting is a different story. And again, let me just say it one more time. What I'm talking about this morning is not a check the box. This is a lifelong journey that requires determination, discipline, and self-awareness. So we all, we all have trouble with trust in some areas of our lives. I just want to put that out there. And here's the deal. We all put our trust in something. We all trust in something. We trust in God or we trust in something else. And if we trust in anything other than God, something not good comes of it. And if you look at, if you still have your Bibles open, if you don't, it'll come up on the screen of Jeremiah. But God tells us what's gonna happen in verses five and six. He says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man. Remember, we started with blessed is the man. Now cursed is the man who trusts in man, who makes flesh his strength, 
whose heart turns away from the Lord, because he's like a shrub in the desert who won't see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places in the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. And here's the deal. It is either one or the other. We don't get a middle ground in this passage. God doesn't say, well, you got, you got three choices. You get two. You are either cursed or you are blessed. You are either in death wilderness, parched places, or you have life and green leaves and prosperity and fruitfulness. You either live without the presence of God in your life and God's delight in your life, or you have pleasure and delight of God. It's either or, and it all comes down to trust. And the question is, do you trust him? On Wednesday, we had a chance uh, with a pretty good group of people, good meaning large, a uh, group of people from Grace, we all went to see Aladdin at the Detroit Opera House, the musical Aladdin, which was taken from the Disney movie Aladdin. So if you've seen either of those, then um, what I'm about to tell you will probably make sense. But there is uh, two different scenes where Aladdin reaches out his hand to Jasmine, the princess. You guys are with me so far? Aladdin, Jasmine, princess. It's a Disney movie, okay? You're not going to find this in the Bible. Anyway, he reaches out his hand and he says, do you trust me? Right? And in both those cases, Jasmine has to take his hand and trust her and take a leap of faith. Literally, one time they jump off a building, another time they jump over a wall and land on a magic carpet. I know, it's all make-believe, but just stay with me for a minute. But the whole point is, in both cases, he's saying, do you trust me? Are you willing to take a risk? Are you willing to give up control? Are you willing to trust that I know what's going to happen and that this is going to... And in both those cases, it sets off this great, exciting adventure for Jasmine. Right? But she has to take his hand and she has to trust him to do it. Now, I say all this to say because I think it's a beautiful picture of how it is with God. God is reaching out his hand to us and he's saying to us, do you trust me? Are you willing to give up control? Are you willing to trust in me and not trust in yourself? Are you willing to take a risk? Are you willing to go to the places that are scary and unpredictable? Are you willing to trust him and go on the greatest adventure of your life? Do you trust in God or do you trust in self? That's usually the battle. I either trust in God or I trust that I am my own provider. I trust that I can make this happen. Now, here's the deal. God knew that this would be a lifelong journey for us. He knew that this would be difficult for us. So God purposely puts these disciplines into place to teach us and to show us that we can trust him, right? So God says, give me the first fruits of your labor. Tithing is an act of trust. Do you trust me? Do you trust that I'm your provider? I think we underestimate how hard this must have been for people living in the ancient world in an agrarian, agricultural-based society where everything you grow is A, what you get to eat, what you get to sell, and what you get to plant for the coming year. And then this God says, would you give me the very best of what you grow? What comes off the plant first, would you give it to me? Now, what does that mean? It means you gotta believe that something else is gonna grow, right? Because this is your livelihood. This is all you got. And they, they didn't have a ways of storing it for years and years. They didn't have big bank accounts with all kinds of food and product in there. This is their meals for the coming year. This is how they're going to survive. And it's the best of the harvest. And he says, give it to me and trust 
that it'll continue to grow. But you gotta believe they were thinking, well, what if, it, what if there's a hailstorm? What if we have a flood? What if we have a drought? What if, what if, what if, what if? You ever play the what if game? What if, you know? And God's saying, no, do you trust me? He's reaching out his hand and says, give me the first fruits. And, and even in, in the scriptures, he says, test me in this and see if I don't show up and bless you in a powerful way. And, and here, I'm not saying this to step on your toes. This is just the reality. If you do not tithe, you do not trust God. It's just black and white. If you don't tithe, you don't trust God. Taking a Sabbath. What was that all about? Why did God do that? Why did God tell the people to take one day off a week and, and to rest and to spend time with him? Because he wanted them to learn that they could trust him. So a Sabbath, just, just turn everything off and don't do business that day. You know, it, this is a hard one for me. This is, of all the things I'm talking about today, this is the hardest. It's so hard for me not to continue to work and continue to, to, to plug in and to pick up my emails and to do just a few things. It's all right, I'm not really working. I'm just doing a couple things. I've actually had some of you say to me, look, my competitors work seven days a week and I need to get an upper hand on them and so I have to work seven days a week. Look, who do you trust? Right, that's the question. Do you trust in yourself to be an outperformer of your competitors or do you trust that God is involved in this and if he says, look, I want you to take a day just to hang out with me. I just, he's just reaching out his hand and saying, would you just, just hang out with me for a day? Just, just make it a special day for us and, and put the work aside and trust that I'm gonna show up. Sabbath is a way of learning to trust God. Taking quiet time, your devotions time. It's a, it's a way of trusting God. I talk to people all the time. They say, it's an amazing thing. If I carve out time in the morning, half hour, 45 minutes, hour, 15 minutes, whatever it is, if I carve out that time in the morning to be with God, the rest of my day always seems to be more productive. I get more done on those days. And in the days where I'm so busy that I don't have time, somehow I don't get as much done anyway. What is that all about? It's about God showing up and saying, you can trust me. I'm gonna multiply your time. I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna make you more efficient in everything you do. And so he invites you. He reaches out his hand and he says, do you trust me? Do you trust me enough to hang out with me before you get the busyness of your day? Unforgiveness is a matter of trust. Do you trust God with the offenses that someone has brought in your life? Can you just give it to God and trust that he'll deal with it? Trust that person to God. Insecurities are a matter of trust. Did God make you fearfully and wonderfully made? Did God design you the way he did? You're, you're second guessing God. You have insecurities. It's a matter of trust. All right, I just wanna say it one more time. We all struggle in one area or another of our life with trust. Right, I find Sabbath a very difficult discipline. And can I tell you, that is a matter of trust. But God is gracious. God is not beating me over the head with a two by four. He's just holding out his hand and saying, Doug, do you trust me? Is it your church or is it my church? Are you gonna trust me with the church? Are you gonna hang out with me? It's a beautiful invitation that God has for us. I say this all the time, but the movement of God in your life always starts with an invitation. It's an invitation that God is giving you that requires us to take his hand and step into the unknown, to give up control, and go on the greatest adventure of our lives. I'm gonna close the service by reading a piece written by a fiery Southern pastor by the name of S.M. Lockridge. But before I read that, I just want to challenge you right now, right where you're sitting, to just ask God this question. Where are you asking me 
to trust you? Where are you asking me to give up control? God, where are you asking me to take your hand and trust you? If your first response is, I don't need to pray that prayer, I, I got it figured out, I trust him, you're in a dangerous place because we all have unsurrendered areas of our lives and God is inviting you to listen to him and to go on the great adventure. Don't beat yourself up. God is gracious. He's crazy about you. He's inviting you. He wants to show you. So ask him, where are you inviting me to take your hand and trust you? What I want you to know this morning is that you can trust him. You can trust him by S.M. Lockridge. He is the one who made us. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. No means of measurement can define his limitless love. And no far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. I'm telling you today, you can trust him. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He is enduringly strong. He is entirely secure. He is internally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. He is the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He is God's son, the sinner's savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization. What I'm trying to tell you, church, is that you can trust him. He does not have to call for help. You cannot confuse him. He does not need you. He does not need me. He stands alone in solitude of himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is supreme. He is preeminent. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He is the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He is the cardinal necessity of all spiritual religion. He is the miracle of the age. What I'm trying to tell you, church, is that you can trust him. He can satisfy all your needs. He can do it simultaneously. He supplies strength to the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he sees. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. What I'm trying to tell you, church, is that you can trust him. 
He is the key to knowledge, the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness, and he is the gateway of glory. What I'm trying to tell you, church, is that you can trust him. He is the master of the mighty, the captain of the conquerors, the head of the heroes, the leader of the legislators, the overseers of the overcomers, the governor of the governors. He is the prince of peace. He's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords, and you can trust him. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He is indescribable because he is incomprehensible. He is irresistible because he is invincible. You can't get him off your hands, you can't get him off your mind, you can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. And what I'm trying to tell you, church, this morning is you can trust him. Lord, I pray that you would reveal the areas of our lives where you are reaching out your hand with great excitement and joy and saying, do you trust me? Lord, would we go on the adventure with you? Would we give up our control to go on the adventure of a lifetime with a God who loves us beyond our wildest imagination? Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I believe for some of you, uh, you know what God is calling you to let go of. You know what God is calling you to take hold of. And I just want to encourage you to come down and allow us to pray with you and for you. If you have a physical, spiritual ailment that you would like us to pray over, we'd love to do that as well. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon.